This is Jezology. It's a real science, honestly. Not just a podcast of me talking about me. Or, or maybe it is. It's Jezology. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of series 1 of Jezology. My name is Jeremy Johnson and I am amongst other things a singer-songwriter, sporadic adventurer, travel writer and former professional geoscientist. This series of Jezology is a collection of some of my favourite adventure and travel stories that I've experienced and written about. There will be a written version of all of these stories that I will post on my website at jeremyjohnson.co.uk. Much of the music I write as a singer-songwriter comes directly from the things I've seen, experienced and learned on my travels, and for me, both writing and music offer different but complementary ways to express and consider these life lessons. There are six biographical stories from adventures I've had in this first series of Jezology, and they will be accompanied in each episode by a short introduction to explain a little more about the context and timing. Thanks very much for tuning in to listen to this podcast. I hope giving these stories a listen gives you as much pleasure as it did for me experiencing and writing about them. If you like what you hear, do check out my writing and music at jeremyjohnson.co.uk, where you'll find tour dates, merchandise, and links to all my creative spaces. My name is Jeremy Johnson, and this is episode 5 of series 1 of Jazzology, entitled Australia. Following the geoscience career I built in my 20s and just before I started working as a full-time musician, I took a little time out to explore my passion for travel and the ocean. I went to live and travel around Indonesia, Australia and New Zealand with my guitar and my surfboard. This story is taken from the Aussie section of that trip on the eastern coast just south of Brisbane in mid-2017. I'm an alien, I'm a little alien, I'm an Englishman training as a surf instructor in Australia. Don't get me wrong, I'm aware that I'm insinuating that Brits have no place in the hallowed halls of surf gurus. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our small, cold island boasts some of the best surfers in the world, and some top-notch British surf coaches. It's just, I'm not one of them. Let me elaborate. There are surfers who grow up around the bountiful British coastline, riding every day in miserable, masochistic conditions which chisel these rough souls into grizzled water bears. Conversely, there are British surfers who buy a five-foot shortboard after their second weekend to a Cornish surf beach, screw the fins on back to front, and then rack the underwaxed matchstick on their landlocked bedroom wall until the biannual pilgrimage to the southwest. For the majority of my teens and twenties, I held an honorary membership to that latter group of British surfers, until the dissatisfaction of a corporate career not too many moons ago started to push me back towards my passion for adventure sports, travel and mother nature. It's early 2017 and I find myself in Queensland, a stone's throw from the Superbank, arguably Australia's most famous wave, attempting to qualify as a surf instructor. Few places on this planet are more surfy than this golden stretch of pristine coastline, and I feel as though I've taken a ridiculous bite of surf pie and my cheeks are too full to swallow. Just the other day I went for a casual paddle at Snapper Rocks and ended up cuddling distance from Mick Fanning, Joel Parkinson and Mark Ocalupo. For a little reference, that would be like the Messi, Ronaldo and Zinedine Zidane of the surf world. 
I didn't even think these surf gods were real. I thought Instagram was just fucking with me. But if life has taught me anything, it's that remarkable things begin where your comfort zone ends. And through irrepressible positivity and a deep love for the ocean, I'm somehow stumbling through the coaching prerequisites. Most of the qualification hasn't fazed me much, which may come as a comfort to any surfers reading or listening to this who have always fancied qualifying. A surf rescue course with a couple of fitness tests was pretty much my idea of fun. Throw in a first aid, advanced resuscitation course, and a few days of surf coaching theory, and it's all good stuff replacing some of my more redundant grey matter. The thing that concerned me most is that I'm surrounded by shaggy-haired, impossibly bronzed Australians who have no doubt surfed the placenta out of their mother's womb and never look back. These guys walk, talk, and live surfing, and my ego has never felt more exposed. Coffee break chats consist of discussions around fin construction and bottom contours, which doesn't bode well for Johnny English, whose quiver consists of an 11-year-old shortboard that contains more patches than original fiberglass. I'm living in a pleasant enough hostel, a little out of town, alongside a ragtag bunch of international travellers, drifters and homeless people, who seem to subsist on a combination of super noodles, Tim Tam chocolate biscuits and bag wine, otherwise known locally as goon. This may seem like a throwaway comment, but one evening I was roped into a manhunt to track down and eject the hostile goon thief. Such was the importance and value placed on these one-litre wine bags. Each morning I'd peel myself off naturally exfoliating sand-covered dormitory bedsheets, gobble down some wheat bix, being careful not to pronounce the A as is customary in Australia, say good day to Bob, the fist-sized orb-weaver spider living on the wall of the outdoor common area, and head to the bus stop to make my way up the coast to the instructor training centre. At one point towards the end of training, our assessor informs me that the next morning will be a performance test we all need to complete as a prerequisite to the qualification. I knew this day would come, the inevitable moment where I could no longer hide behind trendy surf labels and under-trimmed facial hair. Essentially, it was the ultimate coop test. The manoeuvres we were expected to demonstrate worried me less than what is known as the contrast effect. A little like when you go to a bar with that annoyingly beautiful friend of yours, paddling out alongside these Antipodean surf monks was just going to make me look completely and utterly appealing. I was doomed. The following day arrived with the make-or-break moment that could hold me back from my teenage dream of becoming a surf instructor. I wasn't overly anxious. Up to this point it had been an enormous punt anyway, so I was willing to be sent home with my tail between my legs. We'd been lucky. A three-day flat spell had broken that morning with shoulder-high clean waves. For me this could be hit or miss. A blessing if somehow I managed to pull off the half a dozen or so manoeuvres that were expected of me. A curse because surfing like a wretched kook in good waves, on camera, is the ultimate watery embarrassment. I paddled up to a small group of locals on a generic Gold Coast sandbank. Sitting up, my eye caught that of a female surfer in a pink top. I won't beat around the bush, she was gorgeous, and I was not expecting the distraction. We exchanged a few glances, waiting for a set, and had I not been under the cosh of a performance test, I might have found myself thinking there was a little bit of line-up chemistry between us. This was simply not the time to fall in love with yet another surfer girl I'd never approach. So I took the wave, I worked hard, surfed my socks off, 
and was called in after 30 minutes by the assessor. Sheepishly, I approached him on the beach, expecting bad news. Now that's pressure, eh? He chirped in his Aussie drawl. Surfing alongside Courtney. Courtney, I replied. Courtney Conlog, the girl in the pink you were surfing next to. Later on that evening, I googled Miss Conlog. I googled her because, as previously mentioned, I'm a first-class surf pretender. Google reliably informed me that Courtney is one of the most recognisable, successful and talented female surfers on the planet, who happened to be holding the world number two title spot at the time. As if the contrast effect wasn't bad enough, I had only been trading ways with one of the best surfers on the planet. Google also confirmed my suspicions that no matter how good I become at riding waves, I will always have the capacity for first-class surf kookery. To my astonishment, and to everyone else's I imagine, I passed the course. I even got a t-shirt, which I've always felt a little bit conflicted about wearing in case somebody figures out I'm an imposter. Coincidentally, I passed the course the week that the elite surf world was descending on this little stretch of coastline for the 2017 Gold Coast Pro, the first world tour event of the professional calendar. It seemed apt then that to celebrate my newly acquired guru status, I would head out to hit the waves at the break that would be the focus of the competition in the coming days. As expected, the break was packed. Pros from all over the world vying for waves, alongside talented locals and the odd interloper buoyed by their newfound instructor bragging points. I resigned myself to just watching the show from the water. World-class surfers taking on head-high barreling waves is most definitely best watched from the lineup. A rare privilege, a little like being a ball boy at Wimbledon, watching your heroes engaged in mastery just a few feet away. At one point I even saw the mythical bald head of Kelly Slater take off in a set wave down the line from me. Kelly Slater? Such a big deal, I don't even have to explain who he is. Despite resigning myself to voyeurism for the afternoon, I happened to find myself in a great position at one point with a solid, empty wave peeling towards me down the point break. I almost thought it was a mirage, given that there had to be 250 surfers all vying for waves on that same break that day. But there it was, whispering, Jeremy, ride me. It's your chance to impress everyone. Just turn around and paddle. And paddle I did. Here I was, surfing in the big leagues, about to totally score a goal in front of all the world's pros. Oh, it was glorious, gliding along, passing countless surfers, pretending like this is a totally normal occurrence. Yeah, guys, no worries, just catching waves. I came to a stop some way down the break and lowered myself on my board to make the paddle back to the point. Endorphins coursed through my body and I had a solid grin on my face. Oh yeah, I've arrived, I thought to myself as I smoothly dodged the back of one surfer, paddling confidently into the lineup. I took a stroke, only to notice a black rubber cord drifting over my board towards my chest. Oh shit, I've paddled into someone's leash. I thought too late to do anything, as our momentum jarred both her and my progress to get anywhere. Shit, sorry. I offered, turning towards the surfer I'd impeded, only to be met by the unimpressed glance of Tyler Wright, two-time and reigning world number one female surfer. Why did it have to be her? 
There is no getting around it. I am a kook. Courtney knows it. Tyler knows it. The Australian Federation of Surf Instructors knows it. And you know what? I think I've just accepted it. Despite all that, it's something that I've learned to love about surfing. No matter where I go and what I do in the ocean, surfing has a way of keeping my feet firmly on the ground, generously gifting me incredible moments, but reminding me not to take myself too seriously and humbling me when I start to get a little too comfortable. What a great analogy for life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode 5, series 1 of Jezology. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do take time to like and follow it on whichever platform you are listening on. All these stories can be found at jeremyjohnson.co.uk, along with all my music, tour dates, merchandise, and much more. So do go and check that out. You can also keep bang up to date by following me on social media at jeremyjohnsongs across all platforms. Until the next time, this has been Jezology, and I've been Jeremy Johnson. Thank you very much. Oh, she's got